director Joe Johnston sketches the new ideas. From his sketches, Joe created a storyboard for Phil Tippett, who played the ranker in this early incarnation. Yes, that's Phil underneath that rubber suit. Dennis Murin directed miniature special effects photography. His colleagues, Richard Edlund and Ken Ralston, did our space shots. The technique for animating a classic fairy tale situation, the dragon in his lair, is itself a classic. It was used in Japanese monster movies like Godzilla. The filmmakers hope to improve it enough to use it in the final film, especially Phil, who found his role inspiring. In the end, though, the ranker's cave was reduced to snugger proportions. It was about 30 inches high. The ranker himself was scaled down to an 18-inch puppet. Phil's hand animated his head. Rods moved the rest of his body. He was photographed in slow motion, so his movements would appear massive and menacing. The rancor is a sleight-of-hand trick created by expert magicians for a medium that is literally quicker than the eye. <laughs> Jason and this is Gabe and you know hey so this week we were gonna have this big fun episode about Rancors and all the exciting stuff going on at Rig Robot with with Tom Spina and I know we've been waiting for him for two hours here before we start recording and he's I, I don't know what's going on we tried emailing him which I, I, I don't know this is embarrassing yeah, I hope he's trapped in the middle of the lake in a boat. That's pretty much the only excuse he's got at this point. <laughs> or or he's at the archives again. Like, hey guys, I couldn't do it. I'm at I'm at, you know, I'm at the Luke's film archives again, you know. So I don't know what we're gonna do. we we might I, we're we're gonna have to figure something out. Oh wait. Uh oh. We know we know that that ringtone. We should probably pick up the phone, right? Yeah, we probably should. All right, let's let's see what's let's see what's going on here. Hello, uh, guys, 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 it's Tom. I, 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 my signal is terrible here. Uh, I, I hope I hope this is getting through. I saw you. Uh, I, I finally got enough juice to get a uh, an email, and there was a link saying that uh, we were supposed to be recording a podcast. <laughs> are you are you in the Rancor Cave underneath Jabba's palace? I, well, okay, no, uh, because, so technically that doesn't exist, but 
I, I figured I should explore some other caves to prepare for the show and see if we could uh, figure out, you know, more uh, rank or information and, and uh, history and things like that. I, it's not going well. I, I'm going to be honest. I, I, I'm finding very, very little rank or information in these caves. <laughs> I think his phone just fell down a well inside of a cave. <laughs> I, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna get out of this cave. I feel like my audio might be better. Maybe the signal will be better if we can. If we can pull out it. I'm, I'm, I'm working my way out. I uh, stand stand by here. And uh, okay, I'm nearing the exit to the cave here. Getting getting a little clearer. And uh, is that is that better? <laughs> I don't know if it's better, but it's clearer. <laughs> the humor is certainly on point, though. You know, somewhere there's an audience for this. I hope they're listening. But <laughs> <laughs> people may have just turned off. They're like, I'm not. I'm not doing this tonight. <laughs> right. This is, <laughs> I, I spent all day in a cave. I mean. <laughs> This is a step too far, Spina. Thank you. I'm going to have to issue an apology later to people who live in caves, I guess. All the coal miners that are huge Blast Points fans are all going to be so upset. I know. I know. Or they're going to feel seen, you know? They're going to feel like, okay, this is I have representation. Or am I appropriating? Oh, goodness. <sighs> um, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to get a PR firm after this. So we've got a lot of Rancor history to talk about in this episode. I can't wait. I I kind of knew a little bit about like Rancor history, but once you kind of really dive into it, I, I was floored by how classic Star Wars, the creation of the whole Rancor sequence is. But before we get all to, to all of that fun stuff, Tom, you have got some serious stuff to talk about, right? I mean, if it's... If, if it's Rancor news you want, uh, then yeah. I mean, you know, for years now, one of our most popular things we ever did was the Rancor prop replica, um, which uh, Phil Tippett, who made it for the movie, very nicely said, it looks just like the real thing, except it doesn't have a hole in the butt where my arm went, uh, which just the best compliment you could ever get. <laughs> <laughs> and that that was one of our first really like fast sellouts and everybody was all uh, talking about it forever and, and they still do. Uh, we've been doing this maquette collection for the long time, uh, for a long time now, and people keep asking, when are we doing the Rancor? When are we doing the Rancor maquette? And uh, the answer is now, <laughs> finally. And uh, it's been a really, really fun process exploring this one. The... Um, but kind of like you with, you know, when, when you start exploring the, the creation of the scene and the, the puppet and the creature as a whole, uh, there is so much more to it. And this, the, um, the maquette is, is no different. The more you look at it, the more you see. Um, and of course, working with Phil again has been great. And we actually have something super, super special cooked up with Phil on this that, this is so. This now comes out at a time where I can talk about it. I, I was about to not talk about it because I've been in this mode of like, oh, there's a really super secret special thing coming, and like, but I can't say anything. And so, like, I've been that way for months now. <laughs> um, oh, this is going to be cathartic. Hold on, do I need the reverb again? Uh, no. Um, so, okay, 
we have, so normally we do a signature edition on these, and sometimes we also will do uh, a numbered edition. For the Rancor, knowing that this is sort of one of the most popular maquettes and, and uh, one of the ones people have been asking about, we tried to think, is there something really special we could do with it beyond just a signature edition? So we are doing a signature edition. So Phil Tippett, who sculpted the maquette for the movie, created the character with, uh, um, you know, uh, in terms of like playing it for the scene and coming up with the concept for him for how we look. That signature edition is 150 pieces tiny bit bigger than our usual signature editions, but uh, I think it's about the same as Nine Numb. Um, and uh, each one of those maquettes, a perfect replica of the original maquette, plus a signed plaque by Phil Tippett. For the extra special edition, what we've come up with is something we call the Legacy Edition. What that edition comes with is something very special, something very Phil, something literally from Phil's hand, and that is, uh, it is uh, everyone in that edition will come with a, an 8x10 matted framed piece that has a vintage photo of Phil with the Rancor maquette, a signed plaque with the vintage Return of the Jedi logo on it, which we're not allowed to use on the regular plaques usually, uh, which is nice, and a 3-inch by 3-inch hand-drawn sketch of something from the Rancor scene by Phil Tippett. Now, every one of the hundred pieces in this edition, not only does it get a hand-drawn sketch by Phil Tippett, but each one is unique. He didn't draw the same thing exactly the same way twice. And they range everywhere from looks at the Rancor's head from all different directions to things of his hands, him grabbing the Gamorrean, him eating the Gamorrean, him with the Gamorrean's hand coming out of his mouth. Uh, his leg with Luke in the bone, him snapping the bone, him with the bone caught in his mouth. Uh, there's a couple even where he's got the door crunching his head. So sad. Uh, there's some with like looking down at Luke over the Rancor's head, some of the Rancor's tail and his back. I mean, it, they're amazing. Uh, Rob and I were actually just going through them today, cutting them because uh, they were done on bigger sheets and we were cutting them down for uh, for mounting in the frames. And they're just Every one of them is is cooler than the next. Um, so this is something that is super unique. Uh, I don't think has really ever been done before in the you know collectible sphere, certainly in the prop replica sphere. And uh, we're just excited to be something doing something so you know unique. And and there, there's a little bit of a story to it. I, I because of time, I won't go too far into it. But what Rob and I came up with originally was different from where it ended up. And the reason it ended up where it did is very simply Phil Tippett. Um, so uh, I will leave it at that. The f The reason this is so unique, the reason that every one of these is so interesting and so different is 100% Phil. And I'm so excited about that because, um, I mean, that's the magic of Phil, right? The, the X factor. Um, and uh, I'm. It's it's really cool to have brought that into something we're doing. It seems like it would be cool enough just to get the sketch that at that point, the maquette is just like a bonus. That's the bonus you get when you get the sketch. <laughs> That's right. I, I mean, 
it kind of is. <laughs> like, the, the the sketches are all really, really cool. Um, and we'll have, so if people today are, are listening to this, it's now up on the website. So they can go to our website and they can take a look at both the Signature Edition and the Legacy Edition. They'll be in the Star Wars section of the site under the Archive Collection. And, and like all of our archive collection pieces, we went to the archives. We examined the hell out of that original maquette of the Rancor. We photographed it hundreds and hundreds of times from different uh, angles. And we 3D laser scanned it in super high resolution. Like we're talking within, you know, fractions of a fraction of a millimeter uh, is how, how accurate those scans are. It's insane. Um, and and um, every one of them is going to be made in the USA. Every one of them is going to be hand painted in our studio by the folks that, you know, actually do this stuff. So the um, and, and the paint on it is really wild. Uh, it's it's tons of layers, lots of detail, lots of weird stuff because Phil um, and the you know, we've we've got. Uh, a bunch of them that have been done already for our, our samples and for Disney and for reviewers and stuff like that. And it's just seeing a table with like seven or eight of these together uh, has been really cool. And seeing the, the, you know, already seeing the consistency in the paint coming through has been great. This is so unbelievably cool. Yeah. And like, I remember when you did your last like live facebook video from regal robot and you were teasing it and the the excitement in your voice of what was coming next and <laughs> the 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 fill drawings too are just so unbelievably cool yeah and like you said they're just so phil tippett and as, as you know if people are listening to this they're they're fans of phil tippett they're fans of the rancor they know exactly what you're talking about with the wild card factor that is phil tippett and it's just such a cool thing just going straight to like what we all want as fans this that one of a kind i mean to get a one of the kind you have phil tippett drawing of a rancor in addition to the incredible maquette uh, yeah and and i gotta give uh credit where it's due here i mean I, you know obviously full credit to phil for making this even more unique but but this all sparked from an idea that rob had um when we were brainstorming for how do we make you know, the Rancor, something really special. And, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, it was just, just really cool to take that and run with it and develop it and then talk to Phil and have him kind of just go, yeah, but what about this? You know? <laughs> um, and it's just, it's, it's been really cool. The excitement in my voice. I mean, one, I've always got a degree of that when I'm talking about the stuff we're making because I'm, it's genuine, but yeah, if, if I, I know when we did that last live video, that was the, you know what that was? That's like when you have a, a bottle of soda and it's, you know, it's been shaken a little bit and you like open the cap a little and it goes like, Psht! and then like you quickly close it. That's what that was because Rob and I were working on this thing so hard for so long. And the team was working on painting them and, and doing the molds and the masters and the digital work, et cetera. Like so many hours and days and months had gone into this already. Um, and we knew we had the sketch thing at that point. We had just gotten the sketches from Phil a couple of weeks before that. Um, so we were just dying to tell someone about this. And when we did that video, it was like right before the video. I'm like, what if we just put a rancor next to Droopy on the shelf? And, and, and you know, then Rob and I start riffing. We're like, yeah, yeah. Then people will be like, what's that next to Droopy? And we'll be like, what do you mean next to Droopy? Like, like the thing that, you know, like if it was Droopy, you would say this is next to him? Hmm, all right. You know? 
Yeah, what, when those drawings from Phil started coming in, you had to just been over the moon because, I mean, they're so cool. They're so special. Yeah, it was crazy. We actually got them all at once. And he, before shipping them out, he sent us an email with like 12 of them out of the hundred plus a few samples and spares. And, and yeah, to just from the 12 of them, it was like, oh man, you know, <laughs> and you know, it's like, oh, uh, what are we going to get when we get the rest of these, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, those are the, I probably should say being, being a good, you know, uh, owner of a company i should probably say things like they're available uh regalrobot.com on 11 14 at noon eastern so uh join us there or in the meantime go to regalrobot.com and hit the newsletter link down on the bottom of the page and put your email address in and we'll send you a newsletter and and a little note when uh, the rancor become available for sale so that you know to go and uh, try and get one of them no, it's like everybody loves the Rancor and everybody loves Phil Tippett. And if you put the two together, it's like it's, it doesn't get any better than that. was George coming in and saying, hey, we need a big monster for this pit scene. George said he wanted it to be a man in a suit. We're going to do the best man in the suit ever. And, you know, did we get it? I mean, who, gee, you know, who knows? We can't, we don't know until, and so we shot tons and tons and tons of takes on some of this stuff, you know. Some days we, we would go in, there would be some shots that was like 70 takes. We just shot so much stuff and tried to do like different stuff that uh, you just don't know until you take a look at it. He made something so unique with the the, the creature there, um, and it, and it's very him. And, you know, there's there's elements of it in some of the other stuff he's done. Uh, Mr. Big from the chess set certainly has some physical attributes, his body proportions, legs, torso, arm kind of proportions. But even he is, you know, two-dimensional in comparison to the design on the Rancor. Um, you know, you, you can see that there's some similar design intent. There's like that you know, it's funny, you hear Phil talk about it and it's it's alternatively in the back in the day he used to say it was a mix of a gorilla and a potato. And then other times I've seen him say it's a mix of a a, a bear and a potato. I see both, um, but I definitely get the gorilla arms and the short legs, but the the hunched back that you know that that there's not really a neck. Um, you know, the the powerful jaws and those big cheek muscles and things like that, like the anatomy of that mouth is so good and unique and weird. And the teeth are super strange uh, in their placement, especially on the maquette. Um, yeah. It's just, it's such a cool thing. I, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into um, the, the whole man in suit aspect. When we get there, there's some stuff that, that, you know, that's when it really jumps out at you, how unique this thing is when you start trying to put a human form into it and it doesn't work. <laughs> 
Well, I think I think that's a pretty good segue to get into yeah the fascinating history of this kind of the, this creature, this monster who is almost kind of the mascot of Return of the Jedi in a way. Or at least like you know you have Jabba the Hutt, you have the Ewoks and the Rancor, like these icons of insanity that are just Return of the Jedi. And what, what's fascinating to me with the Rancor too, aside from that, it's it's three minutes of footage that the Rancor is in the movie, but it's so memorable. Like no one can ever forget the Rancor. And it's something to it's something else with the Rancor. It's one of the few, I feel like, giant monsters in Star Wars that is called out by name. You know, like the all of Return of the Jedi, they never say the word Ewok. Which is which is good, actually. You know, like you you want that sense of realism. That's that that you know documentary approach that George had. You, people don't walk around saying their names all the time. People don't talk about their species. So yeah, you know, having uh, uh, things like the Ewok just exist is great. Um, and and they the way they call out the Rancor is even pretty good too. Cause it's just three PO making an exclamation, right? Like it's not like, you know, they, they come in and, uh, and Ula gets eaten. And then, you know, the next time it comes around, someone's like, well, I'll feed you to my rancor. Like I did my dancing girl. You know, it's like, no, that he wouldn't say that he doesn't need to, he just hit the button and you fall and you die. But that's almost like how, you know, the rancor is something special because they aren't calling out anything else. And three PO is like, uh Oh, he knows what's up. He's been there a while. Oh yeah, it's the Rancor. Watch out! And then you're like, "What? What's the what? The Rancor?" I mean, I remember just even before the movie came out, uh, seeing bits of it in uh, magazines and stuff like that. Did that? Uh, did the the white cover? You know, with the with the two hands on the saber, the collector's edition magazine. Do you know when that came out? Was that? Just ahead of the movie or just after the movie? I've got it right here, Tom. Naturally. I, mine is actually about seven feet away from me, but my headphones won't reach. So I'm not. <laughs> you know, and I, I think it was right when the movie came out. But what's interesting, flipping through it, page 12 and 13 is a two-page two spread of that classic Luke Rancor Macquarie art. So here's what's neat about that art. If you look at that, that is not a concept painting of the Rancor that Ralph just dreamed up. And it's not a painting of the final puppet. It is a painting Ralph did based on Phil's maquette. 100% that maquette. And that is something that it's like you can't unsee once the uh, once you've seen it. Even the Gamorrean in his hand is with that Gamorrean. What who? That's not what the Gamorrean looks like on screen. That's more of like Nilo's uh, version of it from the con- the costume sketches. Yeah, um, and somewhere in that same book, I think there's a great Nilo concept sketch for Klaatu, uh, maybe the skiff guard Klaatu with the white outfit. And I, as you could tell, I read that book a few times when I was a kid. <laughs> and it really, though, like to me, that's the stuff that starts jumping out at you. And then, you know, here's another one. Look at the Kenner toy. The Kenner toy 
is not the puppet. It's the maquette. You know, it's it, it's one of these things. And, and even later, you know, so one of these cool things I was talking about on the maquette is that, uh, you know, the paint is weird. And the th- weird thing about the paint is that, you know, from a distance, he looks brown. And then as you get closer, he still looks brown. But then when you get some light on him and you look at him uh, in different angles and so, or put a flash on him, you realize he's covered in weird purple brush marks and the little splotches of green here and there too, but mostly these big purple markings. And then you start looking at like, you know, mid 2000s Hasbro toys where they put out a Rancor covered in purple markings. Well, where'd they get that idea? Phil's maquette, you know? It, it's one of these things where like the puppet didn't really exist early enough, I I would imagine, for Kenner to have reference. So they probably sent Kenner a bunch of Polaroids of the maquette and were like, here, make it like this. Because that Kenner toy, the placement of the teeth, the overall proportions, everything about it is the maquette. And it's just so cool to start seeing that now because we've studied this maquette so hard. It's literally everywhere. Tom, Tom you're blowing my mind because I just turned around and I was looking at this Rancor toy that I've had for over 40 years. And I'm like, good God, that's not what it looks like in the movie. <laughs> Yes, yeah. <laughs> November 2023, and I finally realized this. <laughs> His head is narrower. He's got the smaller face. He's got the teeth placed like the maquette. It's yeah, it was there the whole time. It's because love is blind, Jason. Oh. <laughs> I, if this was video, people would see Jason had like that hood the rancor keeper wears, and he's got no shirt on, and he's just that's yeah. how he walks around the house. Yeah. How how do how do you know I don't? That's, you know, yeah. <laughs> we don't do video. That's, yeah. that's why. Yeah. yeah. When you look, you look at your Rancor toy, it's all like soft focus and the music plays in your head and you're like, you, you see the, the version from the movie. And then when other people look, they're just like, that's, that looks like the maquette. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and what's cool too, in this, um, the return of the Jedi, uh, what, what was, what was, what was this even called? Like the, official souvenir magazine or something page 24 a whole page the rancor monster interview with phil Tippett with a photo of the man in suit rancor right at the top of the page there's your you know so here's something cool does if, uh, um, anybody out there who doesn't have uh, phil Tippett's book mad dreams and monsters um first shame on you uh, but no, second, go get it if you're a Star Wars fan, because there are a couple of pages where uh, there's actually a bunch of pages where Phil opened up his scrapbooks. And I've been lucky enough to see those. And Phil's sent us scans of a lot of stuff from it over the years when we were working on the chess set, when we were doing cantina research and all of that. But within those scrapbooks, he had tons of pictures of the man in suit rancor. He had tons of pictures of the hollow chess and a bunch of that's in there. He had a lot of behind the scenes pictures from the cantina that are in the book. Um, really amazing stuff that you'll never see anywhere else. So it's for those, like you know, there's like seven or eight pages of, of vintage photos from star Wars that are totally worth the price of admission for this book. So yeah, highly recommend it. But um, within the rancor ones, there's a bunch of stuff, in the man in suit. And then there is a shot of Tony McVeigh's, um, Rancor maquette 
which was another Rancor maquette that is a sadly lost to time, where he took Phil's concept and then re-sculpted it over an artist's doll, uh, you know, slightly bigger. It's maybe 12 inches tall. It's got a shorter base, though, so they look like they're the same height. Um, and he worked in longer legs so that you could put a human being in it, slightly shorter arms, change the position of the shoulders a little bit, etc. And that was how they started to block out how the man in suit was going to be. And it's not any big secret. You know, the idea of doing it man in suit was George and saying, you know, he wanted to do the best Godzilla suit ever done. Phil makes it sound like he and Dennis and everybody else did not think that was going to work uh, right from the start. In Rinzler's making of Return of the Jedi book, it's it's pretty interesting because it's he, so much of the earlier, we all know the early stages of all the Star Wars movies, things are constantly changing, especially in this early time when there's no script, basically, and Lucas is just kind of coming in and asking for ideas, like, show me some of this, show me this. But in here, in Rinsler's book, Phil Tippett is saying, George's original instructions for the Rancor were, do whatever you want to do, but I want a big monster in a pit. So Phil says, I designed a couple of things he rejected. Joe took a crack at it, but those drawings were rejected. Finally, Joe came up with the design based around a man in a suit. Hmm. You know, and the thing that this reminds me of, too, is it it's all these guys, and this was made so clear in the wonderful Light and Magic documentary, they're all monster people. And now... Star Wars kind of always has, well, what's the big monster going to be in this movie? Everyone's got to have a big monster. These guys are all like students of, you know, Forrest Ackerman, Famous Monsters magazine. They're all monster people. And really the Rancor is like the first big movie. I mean, he had the Wampa in Empire, but not like the Rancor. No, no. This is definitely more King Kong than the Wampa ever could have been, you know, at, at however big the, the, the Wampa is really supposed to be, you know, I, I guess technically the, the original costume they made was 10 or 11 feet or something like that. But, you know, that there's a big difference between that and 18 or 20 feet, like the Rancor that is squarely in Kong territory. And you have to think to people who grew up, with Kong being, uh, I was going to say on top of the, you know, a pedestal, but on top of, let's say the Empire State Building, that this is their dream to make, right? Like this is their opportunity to make their Kong. And and boy, did they. In the, in the Rinzler book, it goes on saying, this is interesting. And with Phil Tippett talking, he said, I took that design. I, I assume he's talking about Joe's design and refined it into something that a human could never fit into so phil is trying to be like no please let's not do a person in a suit long spidery arms little ape-like legs and a head that would that wouldn't really allow a human head to go inside and then phil tippett says naturally george loved it i pleaded oh please don't make us do that we don't know how to do that it's going to be so hard i don't think it's going to work and fit and Phil saying he lobbied for stop motion or go motion, which they just had huge success with, with Dragon Slayer right before Jedi. And and when you look at uh, from Star Wars to Jedi and, and classic creatures and other stuff and, and 
Uh, in fact, if you go and look at the legacy edition of the maquette on our site, the photo that comes with it in the frame with the plaque and the sketch uh, is Phil at a table with the maquette. And on the table is a stop motion armature they were working on uh, originally to, to try and do this stop motion. And the, it turned out time wasn't on their side because by the time they got to the point where they were doing it stop motion, they had already failed at doing it as a man in suit. And I don't know, do you, um, Jason, was it you that found the, the, uh, that clip on YouTube with all the footage of the man in suit stuff? Oh yeah. Yeah. There, there's some amazing stuff on YouTube. I'll have it linked in the, the episode show notes, but just some of the raw footage of the Rancor man in suit. Yeah. And what you were, did you play it at low speed? So yeah, if you go, if people who are listening, go and see it, it's, it's run at normal speed. So it starts, it sort of looks like the 76 Kong where it's very obviously a man in suit and there's no weight to it and no size because it's just moving at normal speed. But if you turn it to 50% speed, it actually looks pretty darn good. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a little goofy, that big Pac-Man head on that thing and stuff like that. But like it, it starts to have some feel and some weight. And that to me is one of my favorite things that they, they, you know, did with the scene and just, you know, the, that kind of mind of Dennis and, and all of those guys going like, okay, you know, I just remember in that old ILM book that, they had a formula for like how big you wanted something to be and then how fast you had to run the camera so that it would be in the proper amount of slow motion to make it seem that large. And that they sat down and figured some of that stuff out is so good and so key because every time I go and watch that 76 Kong movie, which, you know, all the time I'm watching that, right. But, um, <laughs> nonstop, but uh, it, no, it's, it always jumps out of me. I'm like, you know, Rick's there in the ape suit and you know, Everything looks pretty good, but it never feels real. And it's because they didn't, they didn't overcrank that camera. They didn't have that, that slow motion for that weight. And it just shows it's, it's a, it's such a simple little trick, but it works so well. Yeah. And that just makes me think too, of like the advantages of go motion. I mean, think of the ad ads, think of Ed 209 in RoboCop, like just seamless effects of the go motion just happening. Yeah. Which so, and, and, you know, even go motion, even though the name is go is still stop motion just with, uh, some, some, you know, built in lens blur, but or motion blur rather. So the time it takes to do go motion is still the same as doing a big stop motion sequence, which if you're talking three minutes of screen time, that's a big long sequence to shoot that way. And they were right up against it when they were shooting this. Um, you know, one interesting thing, you mentioned the AT-AT scene. And I think, I don't know if I've ever brought this up on your show, but it's something that I think gets lost in a lot of modern movies. Um, and, and I'll see movies where the toys come out and they make something from the movie and they expect it to be like this big seller toy or whatever. And it just isn't. And then I, I think back and I'm like, oh, man, you know, Rancor toys sold great. The Tauntaun toys sold great. The, the Adat toys sold great. And I was like, well, why? Because they did things in the movie. You know, because there was a whole scene you could play out if you had a, an Adat and a Snowspeeder uh, or an Adat and a bunch of Rebels uh, or even just Luke in his X-Wing outfit to hang from the bottom. I mean, like, you could 
relive so much of the movie with those things and you had so much to grab on. And, you know, I feel like now people think like, oh, you know, we'll just make this really cool thing and it'll be in about four frames of the show or the movie and people will want to buy the toy. And it's just like, you know, people have to have something to reenact with it, to want it, to connect with it. And, you know, three minutes of Rancor scene. Hey, that's that's a lot to play with, literally. Well, I'm just thinking right now, I've never thought about this until right now, just how much stop motion there is in Empire Strikes Back and how little stop motion there is in Return of the Jedi. And that it kind mm-hmm. of just, other than the ATSTs in the end, that's right. it, right? And so much of Empire with the, the Tauntauns and the Adat. Yeah, it's just interesting. And even hearing, I guess, some of the interviews with them on Jedi of them just trying to figure out how to do everything faster and cheaper. And stop motion is not fast or cheap, so it kind of makes sense. Here's an interesting parallel. The Wampa man in suit didn't work, and they fixed it with a small puppet that Phil Tippett performed. (laughs) Well, and just, yeah, how much, yeah, Return of the Jedi is the puppet movie in every respect with full-on, you know, full-on Muppets in Jabba's Palace, and then all the rod puppet work with the Rancor, and then even the speeder bikes, and, like, just how much, you know, that it's almost yeah like they learned from yoda and the uh the wampa like oh we can just do this all puppets <laughs> and it worked well and i feel like that's something we've talked about too it's like when you go back and watch dark crystal you, you can see how it's like oh yeah this was almost like look at what we can do with dark crystal look what we can do in camera with puppets lots and lots of puppets and you can really feel feel that influence at least i've always thought on return of the jedi and it's it's cool too going back like we were talking about with the uh, Phil Tippett pleading not to do a man in a suit. When you go back to the the classic art of Return of the Jedi book, there's pages and pages of cool concept drawings by everybody by Nilo and Joe Johnston and Ralph of different ideas for the Rancor and all just really inhuman looking things, just kind of all kind of going like what you're saying, like that cross between like a gorilla and a potato or a bear, just this big hulking kind of beast. And you can really get the, the Godzilla influence in a lot of these drawings and in the art of Jedi book. And, and you're right about the inhuman stuff. There's some really weird, like blobby stuff in there and stuff and things with tentacles and all kinds of stuff. They're all, it's funny, even though, I I mean, I I almost feel like you have to guess at which one it is Phil's talking about of Joe's sketches. That is the inspiration for his, like, I kind of think I know which one it is, but I'm, I, you know, it would not surprise me if it was a different one and Phil just did his own thing. So they're all in on doing a man in a suit. We talked about, yeah, so there's some great footage on, on YouTube. They build the suit, right? They got a dream team building the suit. They got Randy Dutra, Tony McVeigh, Dan Howard, articulation engineer Eben Stroquist. Please forgive me if I mispronounce that. They, they built a whole, like, Norman Reynolds built a whole miniature set that they were going to put this man in a suit in they were filming stuff i love the uh, i i love in the test footage that they're dumping like rocks and dirt down the side as he's hitting the walls too like that's a really nice little touch for your animatic tests 
with your half-built man in suit rancor. <laughs> Unless that was just hazing whoever was in the suit by actually dropping rocks and gravel on them because <laughs> they weren't uncomfortable enough. Yeah, is that Thatcher in there? Dump some dirt on him. Hey, you know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great quote by Phil Tripp, Phil Tippett in an article on StarWars.com where he says, Norman Reynolds sent over a Rancor's cave. I got in the suit. Kirk Thatcher got in the suit. Dave Carson got in the suit. And Dennis shot shots, talking about Dennis Murin, that were storyboarded. And then Phil drops in on StarWars.com. It just looked like shit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of the neat things that they started to do, so they started with one person in the suit and they realized that they couldn't really make the arms do much. And so what they wound up doing was putting people in black leotards and outfits and having them behind it and basically operating it the way you would a live hands Muppet, where you had someone in the suit and then someone doing the arms separately, like two different people, one doing each arm so that they could actually get some movement out of those things. So that was that was kind of a neat thing too that they they were exploring that aspect. Tony McVeigh, I, I you know my understanding was he did a lot of um, the the sort of supervising on this build. Uh, in talking to him, he makes it uh, he he says that was basically his baby was to you know he was tasked with seeing this through. Um, and Jeannie Lauren in our our chat was talking about how he was just a wizard with taking sheets of foam. And laying them up on something and, and fabricating uh, natural anatomy and muscles. Um, and, and Tony, as a traditional clay sculptor, his anatomy and musculature and skin and folds and wrinkles and stuff are just exquisite. They're so good. Um, but, uh, you know, it's neat to see. I, there's, there's, you know, I always have this kind of saying where it's like, it's not the medium, it's the artist. Um, and it's it's really cool to see that he is that he has that same level of anatomy and skill and and uh, design and all of that coming through even when he is dealing with just chunks of foam rubber from like couch foam and stuff like that or reticulated foam in this case but still so yeah he did a lot of that and then you had I would imagine Dan Howard worked on a bunch of that too because he was also a guy doing uh, fabrication he fabricated things like a man a man and he worked on drooping cool and um, you know uh, so many others. Um, and, and then, you know, laying up the skin on top of it, using the skins from, uh, uh, the, the molds from Dragon Slayer and also molds that they pulled off of things like sidewalks and whatever else they could to find interesting textures and then brush up latex and have these latex skins. Um, it's a neat build, no matter what the head is still at the archives. I don't know if the rest of the suit is, I would love to find it there someday. That would be insane. But seeing that head is is really really neat. Um, it's I we always call it the Pac Man head. I, I think because it is the where when it's just alone and not with the suit, it just it has this big very round look to it, um, and the mouth seems very large compared to the final. Did you read? I, I think in the the Tippet book, this was something that threw us a while ago. Um, in Phil's book, they have some of like production notes on this stuff. And it calls out the term liver bunny a couple of times. <laughs> Did we cover the liver bunnies on like a previous Jedi episode? No, now's the time. Let's talk about liver bunnies. Yeah, I've, I feel like we've talked about liver bunnies, but I don't know if we ever actually uh, talked about it on the show. Because we found other production notes that called out that were like, you know, such and such liver bunny or this and that liver bunny. And it was a lot of times it was like stuff in Phil's notes. 
And it took a little back and forth and prodding and, and, you know, trying to, you know, kick, kick Phil's memory into gear on this stuff. But like, I, yeah, like I remember asking Dave Carson, cause he was assigned to sculpt a liver bunny. And I'm like, what the hell is liver bunny? Like Bubo was called frog dog. Like is, is liver bunny some creature we don't know, or is it a name for another creature we did know? And, uh, and so I asked him and he's, he's like, I have no idea what that is. I've never heard of it. In my life. <laughs> um, and uh, asking Phil, he wasn't sure at first. And then, you know, we, we found some additional stuff uh, and notes and gave it to him in context. And so liver bunny was, and I'm sure there's a reason for this, but I don't know what it is. Liver bunny was their term for like the stuffed doll version of the Gamorian or Luke that the Rancor would pick up in his hand. So they made these in two scales. They made them initially bigger scale. There's a uh, there's a Gamorian that's about 12 inches tall that was made for the the man in suit Rancor to hold up, maybe even a little bigger. And then there's a smaller one, like five, six inches tall, that was made for the uh, the puppet Rancor to hold in some shots. And those were called liver bunnies. No idea if anyone out there has any idea why they're called liver bunnies. Please let us know. I think I think where we we ran into liver bunnies in the past, I think was when we were going over those lists, like in Peacher's book of all the creatures for mm. the Twin Sons room last year. Yes, uh, the place to be. That was the place to be. Yes, <laughs> and I think we were like, "What's the liver bunny?" And I think, yeah, I, I think we clarified that. Yeah, we we definitely didn't have an answer before that because otherwise that would have been. That would have been breaking Liver Bunny news on the on the Sun, Twin Sun stage, the place to be. <laughs> but uh, it was that was a really neat little you know ancillary rancor thing that came out of all this research we do. I mean, that's just the other thing too. Like I can't imagine. I'm trying to imagine like you know some other licensee or collectibles company or somebody sitting there going like. Like, oh, I've got this product to make and, you know, going down the liver bunny rabbit hole, so to speak, <laughs> along the way. Like, that, that that might be uniquely us. You're like, we'll talk about the product later, but we really need to – this whole call is about the liver bunnies. We need to figure this out. Exactly. If we get deep with liver bunny, maybe we'll get closer to that weeba weeba secret. But we've were, we were already got weeba weeba. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Great things with the Rancor man in the suit. I love that that Kirk was in the suit. Do you know how that happened? Because I every story that he shares or every story that anyone ever shares about Kirk Thatcher, you know, I like I love like the in Renzer's book, somebody put a note in his pocket that said, Kirk, get back to work. So when he started like goofing around, he'd be like, What's this note in my pocket? Oh, I gotta get back to work. <laughs> But I love that, like the you know, you, in, from Star Wars to Jedi, you see Phil in in the in the Rancor suit with the dramatic part where he's shirtless. Yes. But I, at one time, where they were like, let's just put the the crazy kid in the in the Rancor suit. I, I I we will have to pick Kirk's brain about that next time because next time we talk to him because I think that I'm sure there are stories we've not heard there. I, I would bet he must have talked about it a little bit in the t- the time we had him on Blast Points. But uh, yeah, that's putting the crazy kid in the suit really does sound like something they would, like someone there would just be like, you know, I mean, I know Phil found his role inspiring, 
but uh right yeah so the thing though that the the man in the suit was not a total waste because while they were doing it they had well with kirk in the suit they had what Dennis Murin and Dave Carson, according to Rinsler, working the arms while while Kirk was just the body. And while they were doing the arms was when they started to figure out, right, we could do this as a puppet. And not just any puppet. They got specific with a Japanese Bunraku-style puppet. And the thing, though, that I think with the whole Rancor story is amazing is that the move, I think Jedi at this point is less than a year than it'll be in theaters or it's just about a year away. And it's to be making decisions like this at, for such a critical scene. And when the, the live action stuff of Mark Hamill was already shot a long time ago, that's kind of crazy. It it really is. And you know, them then having to dive into like this, this hard shift in gears, like, man, that's tough. And, you know, in terms of the Bunraku puppetry, I mean, if you look at uh, the Gelflings in Dark Crystal, it's pretty much exactly how they performed them. You know, they had uh, a hand, it was, it was a hand and rod puppet, but with the added articulation of the hands, uh, so that instead of having a rod going up to the wrist and moving it around like Kermit the Frog, you have something going in through the elbow. And also within that controls for the wrist and the fingers and stuff like that. And then rods for the feet, I guess, from underneath to make him look like he's taking his steps. It's a complicated thing to do because, you know, much like in Baraka, you have multiple puppeteers performing the same thing. You've got to all be on the same page. And here we have the added complication of you're shooting it in high speed. So if you have a three second movement to make, but he's shooting at, you know, 80 frames per second. You now have one third the time to make your three second movement. So it has to be done in one second. Otherwise, it's going to take too long. Uh, and so that becomes its own challenge. And listening to Phil talk about that, it's funny. Every I feel like I've heard him say everything from 60 takes to 80 takes on some of these things uh, in different interviews. But I've never heard him say less than 60. And if it is only, quote unquote, 60 takes, that's that's bonkers. <laughs> but uh, it's certainly possible given what they were doing. Uh, but yeah, my, my favorite thing is just, you know, him talking about trying to show it to uh, trying to get George in on on dailies on this stuff. And and George going, how many takes of this are there? And he's like, I don't know, 60 or so. And George is leaving and going like, well, show me the best five and then I'll pick something. You know. <laughs> But it really is hard to wrap your head around when you think about it, that it's like you want this to look big and slow, but the way to get it big and slow is to perform it really fast. But you have to move like you would move if you're big and going slow, but you have to do that while doing it really fast. Like It's like shooting an Alanis video. <laughs> I'm literally the only one here that remembers that, huh? <laughs> I was someone someone listening just went oh no yeah I forget what video it was there was a black and white video um uh maybe it was what it all comes down to or whatever that song was uh she 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 goes through the whole video walking in seeming slow motion but lip syncing perfectly to the song oh I remember that yeah 
So to capture it, and there was a bunch of things that did that after that, but to capture that, you've got to shoot it at fast forward. And so the song had to be playing fast forward. She had to be lip syncing real fast in order for those to go. I would love to see footage of that at the speed they shot it uh, and with the, the song going that fast. I think that would be a really fun thing to see. It would be even better to see it with the Rancor puppet doing it. That's outstanding. <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll I'll see that Tom, and I'll raise it to Weezer undone the sweater song, yep. which did the same thing. And there is footage, I believe, on the Weezer video capture device DVD of the original version of them just like tearing through it at high speed. That's awesome. But it's like like when you go on the uh, the Top Secret DVD and you click on the the Peter Cushing eyeball and then you get the the, the bonus feature of the backwards scene played forwards, um, which is on YouTube. I highly recommend you go do it because it's actually more amazing forwards that they were able to pull that off. It's incredible. If there's a Spina shows up on Blast Point's drinking game, it would be do a shot whenever Top Secret is mentioned. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Guaranteed to be a little tipsy by the end of the episode. Remember when the Rancor was wearing big rubber boots like the guys in the cow costume in Top Secret? (laughs) Remember remember when Luke straightened the rug? Oh, when Han went skeet shooting first? (laughs) You're Again, with the the Rinsler book is a great quote from Dennis Muren, where he says, we shot it like live action, but with the effects done in camera, we shot it backwards at different speeds, anything to get it away from the Muppet look. The drool helped make it creepy. And he is so right, because that's the crazy thing when you watch the Rancor scene, which still looks incredible. Even the old version where it had like more matte lines, it looked great. It looks great then. It looks great now. Put it on on 4K on Disney Plus at home. It looks amazing. But the drool, if they did it a puppet and they were shooting it at crazy high speed, was what was going on with the drool? I've always wondered that. So... uh it's interesting because we took what they did with the drool and actually worked that into our replica in a different way. The way they achieved the drool is they had a piece of monofilament, which is like fishing line, clear string, coming out of the mouth. And then they would drizzle, um, yeah, I assume like KY jelly or something like that onto it, some sort of viscous, clear fluid. Uh, these are things that <laughs> tubes of that are always around on effect sets. Um, but trust us, it's for the puppets. Um, but so, uh, that was how they got it to sort of stay in place. Um, and it would just sort of dangle. And and here's again, if you shot that at normal speed, it would be flopping around and it wouldn't look like it had any weight. It would look tiny and all of that. And so when you slow it down, it looks like this big hanging heavy, you know, uh, uh, bit of saliva just waiting to fall off. And, and that's uh, when we went to do our replica, w- the way we, we made the drool for it was we took a piece of monofilament and we dipped it in clear silicone a few times so that it would have the little blob at the end. And that was how we made each piece of that drool. And I mean, it was not the fast or easy way to do this, but it was so faithful to it. And like, you know, technically all we did was change the material, but it's the same exact idea. 
I'm just imagining your desk in your office where you have like the binder full of hair, some bottles of KY jelly and like a turkey sandwich. <laughs> There's always a turkey sandwich. That's accurate. And a Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper. Yeah. No, there was also uh, at the same time. So when we were doing those, there literally were cups and the cups said things like A plus really good drool. <laughs> Just so, so drool, not sure. Bad drool, don't use. Like there were like literally cups saying things like that. And it was awesome. Well, and like we were saying too, like how, you know, these are all children of for- Forrest Ackerman and famous monsters. Phil Tippett talking about Dennis Murin, where he says, Dennis really understands lighting and scale and contributes a great deal to Story's character. We used a number of Ray Harryhausen's classic movements. What are we going to do? We would ask, let's move it like the Cyclops, someone would suggest, and everyone would instantly know what to do. And that that's so cool. Like, you know, the Ray Harryhausen, just classic monsters, like what got all these guys into doing what they're doing, like the Ray Harryhausen stuff, the old school monster stuff, and them just honoring that with this now classic Star Wars monster. And and I mean, I'm thinking, you know, you had Phil inside the puppet, you had Tom Sanamond was doing one of the arms. I'm not sure who was doing the other arm, and then Dennis shooting it. And it's like, yeah, if you have to like Phil, Tom Sanamond, Dennis. You could t- call out anything Ray Harry has, and those guys are going to know what it is immediately. But think about this now. If we were shooting a scene, uh, someone would go, oh, make the legs wobble like, you know, the ATST in Return of the Jedi on the logs. Or, oh, we got to uh, make it like the, where he uh, turns and looks at the camera like the Rancor after he just ate the uh, the Gamorrean's hand and the drool is shaking. Like, those are visual cues that have been burned into our brains and that are our shared language now. That's our Harryhausen. That's our stuff to reference that we all get and are all going to jump in on together. And there's so many times where we're doing it with stuff at work and we're calling out stuff from these movies now, the way those guys called out Ray or Obi or, you know, uh, uh, et cetera. So um, it's, it is a legacy. It really is. And it's just, such a product of so many geniuses at work because you, you know, you've, like you said, you've got Phil Tippett, you've got Dennis Murin, and then the finished product gets Ben Burt sound effects and John Williams music and just brings the whole thing together. It's just, it really, you know, that's the thing, this three minute Rancor sequence, it's so memorable in, in like how it was done very last minute, but it's all the Star Wars heavyweights all working together, like to just deliver this really fun giant monster moment. Can we talk about that music for a second too? Is there not an element of universal monsters music to that big and brassy? And, and there's something clanking in the music that almost sounds, you know, it's like it's it's some of this like sort of these kind of woodwind sweeps that like go go real high and things like that. But there's there's stuff going on and percussive stuff that sounds like it sounds like gates closing and things like that in the set. And you kind of feel like this music is a part of the, the space. Oh, no, the 
uh, Ben Burtt's stuff is just so good. And what was it, Gabe? He for the sound of the rancor, he recorded his neighbor's like especially cranky like poodle or something like tiny dog and slowed it down. <laughs> yeah, it was the, ang- the angry neighbors or the neighbors. Yeah, angry little dog. Yeah. I mean, the neighbor might have been angry too. Yeah. It's it's a it's a blend between the neighbor and the dog. They were both angry. He's living with that dog. Yeah, neighbor's like I thought living next to Ben Burt was going to be cool, but he's recording me bringing in the trash in the morning, <laughs> driving me nuts. Yeah, yeah. it's just like he he puts the trash out and Ben Burt just pops up out of the thing next to him with a mic. He's like, "Hey, slam that lid down again." Yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. The. There, the there's two moments that are just coming to mind. So the the sort of breathy sound effect. It's almost a purr after it ate the rank or the uh, the Gamorian hand, and he turns towards the the camera. You know, he's he's turning his attention to Luke now. It's like, okay, your turn. Such a good mo- moment. The the head tilt as it turns is like perfect puppetry in that. But that sound effect, that like. <laughs> kind of rumbling breathy thing that happens is so good and it it's weird because i feel like i've heard that sound effect a dozen times since like the late 90s and it's always a weird staccato digital thing it always sounds like it's being run through a slicer or something like that and this one it just is real it's a real thing it's a beast and it's amazing but the other moment that gets me is the hand and the the wheeze after he's been crushed by the door. <laughs> and the, the little hand flip, like, it's just, it's so good. It, it reminds me of, like, what is it the, oh gosh, in Kong, is it maybe after he kills the, the T-Rex where you get the little tail flip, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Like it's one of those. And and of course it's one of those, right? Because like this is who we're this is who we're dealing with. That was who who inspired them. It reminds me too of uh, again bringing up Ed 209, another uh Phil Tippett genius move in the end when RoboCop goes back to OCP and he blows up the Ed 209 and as he's walking away, the little Ed 209 flipper thing is still going. Yes. Just such a silly little touch, but it's just, it. you know, I'm talking about right now, it's burned into our brains, like you said. I think that one thing, especially nowadays, where Phil has, you know, the big Darwin beard, and he, he always puts on the grumpy face for every photo, I, I think the the thing that always surprises me most about Phil is how funny he is. Um, it, it kind of surprises me about most of these guys, frankly. Um, Dennis and John in particular are both really, really funny and, and especially together. But Phil is, you know, he's intimidating and he's he, you know, he has this air about him that is kind of scary and, and a bit of a barrier. But like once you get to know him, he's like he is surprisingly funny. And, and to me, there's that charm and humor comes through in the animation. And it's exactly in moments like that with Ed 209. It's it's in the organic look of 
the movements of Ed 209 and the ATSD, these mechanical things that he's imbuing with, you know, uh, with human-esque character in how they move um, and, and, you know, how their legs wobble when things don't work out. (laughs) Um, uh, And, and even things like the little death rattle that the, the Rancor has, like that's, that could be in a Bugs Bunny cartoon. You know, it's like the big door hits the the dog chasing after Bugs Bunny and he's just, you know, his tail flips and he goes, you know, like that's, it's all right there. And what's cool too, is I feel like that humor, bringing it back to, to today's big announcement with Regal Robot, I feel like that humor is all over those one of a kind drawings he did. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. There's, there's some of them that are, you know, classic Phil humor. Absolutely. My favorite ones, there's a handful where he looks, where the Rancor is, is prominent in him, like a Rancor head, and he looks sly. Like he's got a little side eye going. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of fun in all of those. And I think um, wh- one of the things Rob and I were looking forward to the most, he was he's just like, you know, because Phil made all of these so unique, it's like people are going to share them. You know, and people are going to look at each other's and people are going to want to show like, oh, this is what I got. This is, you know, there are many others out there, but this one is mine. You know, <laughs> As, uh, like that's a really cool thing. I have something unique. Here it is. And then like, you know, get everybody showing theirs and, and start to, to show everybody the breadth of what Phil did for this project with us. Um, God, that's crazy to even think about that. It's like, yeah, yeah. We had Phil make us a whole bunch of his own original art a hundred times over for our fans to get. Like, how is how does that happen? And one of a kind Phil Tippett Rancor art. It's nuts. <laughs> it's just nuts. And next week is the chance for folks to bring one of those home and an amazing, you know, laser scanned replica of his maquette for this great creature that we just spent, you know, an hour talking about. (laughs) And you can put it next to your old Kenner Rancor and have your mind blown as you compare and contrast. I I love that we made that happen for you. You can never look at it the same, Jason. And I won't. I won't do it. Gamorrean Guard, new Rancor Monster and Rancor Keeper action figures, each sold separately. You regret this? <laughs> Wait till get this clock into a Jedi Knight. Whoa, son, Jaws, this is my only chance. <laughs> He's wounded. We better get in there. We'll <laughs> never get out alive, Gamorrean Guard. New Rancor Monster, action figures, each sold separately from Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise.
with everybody. You know the deal if you're listening to this with Apple Podcast Reviews. And when you get done listening, if you want, go over there, leave us five stars, write something nice so more people can find Blast Points when they're looking for a Star Wars podcast. And you do the same on Spotify. Just leave a five-star little thing over there, too. And check out our website, BlastPointsPodcast.com, and make sure you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you're part of the Blast Point Super Chill Group. The best Facebook group out there. Do not miss it. Join that Join that chill group. Some of the best Star Wars fans in the world, in one place on the Blast Point Super Chill Group. If you're in it, you know. And good-looking, too, those fans. Smart. And we got the Blast Points Army over there on Patreon with new stuff happening. Mandalorian Season 3 commentaries getting back into the groove. And, you know, I think the, the big announcement that Dial of Destiny is going to be on Disney Plus December 1st. I think we can look forward to in December us doing a Dial of Destiny commentary. Tom, just in case people passed out from all the information in the beginning, remind folks what they have got to do. Wake up! <laughs> so, uh, what folks can do is, uh, uh, one, uh, go to our website today and you can check out both the Phil Tippett Signature Edition Rancor Maquette and the amazing Phil Tippett Legacy Edition Maquette and look at some of the sketches that Phil did for that and uh, maybe look at them and think about stopping back to the website next week on 11-14, 12 noon Eastern and trying to grab one for yourself. Um, additionally, they should uh, join our newsletter uh, which is a great way to hear about all the cool stuff we have in the works. 2024 is going to be a very busy year for us. The amount of projects we've been working on in 2023 is intense, and the stuff that will be coming out as a as a result of that in 2024 is going to be amazing. I'm super excited, both on Star Wars and Indiana Jones fronts. Um, if they want to follow us on social, where we post all kinds of cool stuff, you can see we're at Regal Robot everywhere. There's also at Tom Spino Designs, my other site, where we restore original movie props and do all kinds of big theming and stuff for theme parks and all kinds of fun stuff. Totally worth checking out as well. And last but not least, uh, we have the Regal Robot Fans and Collector Showcase on uh, Facebook. It is a Facebook group, much like the Blast Point Super Chill group. It also has very intelligent and good-looking uh, people that uh, participate and very smart people. I feel like those are, if you feel like you're a smart, good-looking person, you're going to want to be there as well. And it's a great place to get a first look at stuff that we're working on to get behind-the-scenes looks at the studio. Uh, just today, we posted a picture of me in a Scooby-Doo costume I've, for reason. Uh, it was it was onesie Wednesday, even though it's Thursday. It's a long story, but go check it out. It's fun. It's if it sounds ridiculous to you, then maybe you'll enjoy it. So yeah, look us up on Facebook, and uh, I hope to see you there. If you chime in and you found us on Blast Points or because of Blast Points, say so. Uh, Jason and Gabe are there, and they hang out all the time and uh, and talk to folks as well. So uh, pipe in, be a part of the conversation, have fun. It's not just about the props; it's about the people, and we have a lot of fun. We're always hunting for pictures of you and Scooby Doo onesies <laughs> well it's so cool tom i can't wait for people to freak out over this i can't wait to see what you guys have going on next year 
Yeah, it's like we say every time. It's just so much fun having you on. I know, like, at least on our end, like, when when it's a Spina week, we're just like, oh, the third, this is going to be good. We're talking to Spina this week, you know? Yeah, it's a treat. Uh, thank you. No, I feel the same. I, I, I feel like it's it's like, you know, going out for a, for a good meal and, uh, and dessert with a bunch of friends, you know? This is, uh, I, I look forward to it the same way every time. Thank you all so much again, and we will talk to you all very soon. Bye-bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. Did the reverb trail stop yet? Can I stop it? <laughs> it's, it's still going. Oh. May the force be with you! <laughs>